Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. We're doing the six tens. I'm sorry, we're doing the tens anyway. <laughs> Oh, the Thames. There was a great big war. That's why they called it the Great War. <laughs> what about the 2010s? I don't know. Not that all, not, not all that exciting. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that happened in the 2010s. <laughs> oh, there was a migration crisis in Syria. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know I got a divorce. Did you get a divorce too? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about we talk about the 610s BC instead? Let's do that. I think we should. I know I haven't talked to you in a while, so we start, you know, just conversing. But I guess we'll have to podcast too, right? I guess so. Yeah, which is fun. This is something I have been building up to for eight years. I started this podcast in 2014 on YouTube. And I had kind of an outline. I figured I would be at this point in 2015. (laughs) But it took eight years. (laughs) <laughs> well that that's probably because you brought me on and you know me i'll like uh expand things and make them go on forever right oh, you you were the guy who kept this going when uh, the podcast had a crisis so great thanks to you well good i was having a crisis i think myself <laughs> <laughs> then, I, then i lured you into this mess exactly exactly it gives me purpose in life but everything we've talked about has been regarding the assyrian empire the assyrians have been the main characters of this story for all our episodes even the first i think they were like on the decline and starting to build up and we had the doomsday clock on youtube and but now in this decade they will get their payback everybody will gang up 
and uh, give the Assyrians what has been coming to them. True. It will be coming. But first, we're going to do a couple other things, I believe, in the 610s. Okay. Yeah, I, I bet we are. <laughs> Did you want to describe how we set up these episodes? Yeah, I don't want to, don't want to give an exact structure here because we might change okay. it. But we're going to talk about China. We're going to talk about Greece, and then we're going to talk more about Greece. And then we're going to address the Babylonia-Assyrian issue up to 616 BC, because a little thing happens in 616 BC that has nothing to do with the Assyrians. Well, that's good, because we need something, as you, you said, they were the main character. Well, we are going to replace them with the new Babylonian Empire and then the Persians, but then we will encounter a very important actor in the story. And I put the beginning of them in 616 BC. It is, of course, Rome. Oh, my God. Well, we'll be set for podcasts. If we go 10 years from now until 476 AD, we'll be set. I think that in in the pace we have been keeping, I think we <laughs> won't reach 476 AD in our lifetimes. So somebody else will have to so. finish this podcast. Somebody else will have to finish it for us. That'll be a fine. So that's good. We're, at least we're set for the rest of our lives. Unless, of course, we get a lot of patrons on Patreon so we could True. make this podcast every week. Amazing. Actually, I, I beg for sponsors on Patreon all the time, but I, I thought of something today that, uh, of course, this is my oldest podcast. I run 11 active podcasts right now. 11 now? Yes. Wow. I, I, I'm a full-time podcaster since 2015. I now employ two people, but all the money comes from the Swedish murder podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I have to focus on them more than I focus on this. But this one is my favorite podcast. Please give me more time to focus on this <laughs> podcast. Become a sponsor on our Patreon. Patreon.com, search for Fan of History. Because this is by far my favorite podcast that I make. Oh, well, I'm honored. Because it's one of my favorite things I do in life. So yeah, if you give us lots of money, I could quit my job. Yes. If, I'll become a full-time podcast. If you're a listener of any of my other podcasts, please don't tell the other listeners that this one is my favorite. <laughs> I just landed a new deal for my biggest podcast, the Serial Killer Podcast. And it actually, it actually is about 100 times bigger than this podcast. But this is the podcast I love. Oh, well, it's good. Oh, good. I'm gonna, we're going to keep it going then. You can send us money too. And we'll really <laughs> yes. keep it going. Oh, well, you probably won't. <laughs> I actually made plans now uh, when I got this new deal to run the Serial Killer podcast until the year 2035. Okay. And I could retire maybe by then. And I could, you know, by then I'll have full time to do this one. So even if we don't get, you know, oh, tons of money, I can probably, by 2035, we can start really cranking it up. <laughs> I actually said in my, in my podcast about the, the murder of the Swedish prime minister in 1986, that podcast, I have mentioned the year 2034 as the year we start considering not doing a weekly episode in that podcast. But I will do this podcast as long as I draw breath. Nice. All right. Well, I hope I'm, we're all together here. And, Amazing. And as long as I have a co-host, 
But even when I didn't have a co-host, I did episodes of this podcast. That's when I first started hearing you. Yes, you heard my desperate please. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, I'm glad to be here. So um, <clears throat> I think to maybe get started, I did say, I, I, I try to listen to them. I'm able to listen to my own voice on these, and I listened to our last podcast. And um, I know I mentioned that. Uh, with, we asked about, do Persians keep, did Persians keep slaves? So I looked it up, and I have found this. It says, in per- I found, I should say, wrote, in Persian culture, slaves were treated as paid servants were elsewhere. So they were like more like servants, not like slaves. Slaves could not be beaten or killed indiscriminately. And Darius I, in fact, made it a law that a master who mistreated a slave was subject to the same penalties as if a free person had been injured. And slaves received compensation for their labor, shelter, and clothing, and lived better under the Persians, whether it was the Achaemenids or the Sassanians, than slaves anywhere else in the ancient world. And I would say that was because of the Zoroastrian religion. So that's the story on that. I actually mentioned Darius I. You know, you can't do the English vocal shift on that name. So it's Darius. Darius. And then I've heard Darius, so I don't know. I look looks like Darius to me. Yeah, I think it's Darius. But um, I mentioned him in one of my murder podcasts, actually, because we talked about uh, lie detectors and how to detect lies. And Darius is the master of the lie. He has one single lie that gives him all the power of the Persian Empire. But we'll come to that in 100 or 200 episodes. All right. (laughs) And I'll pronounce him Darius. 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 Darius, hmm, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think Dan, 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 uh, Dan um, Carlin pronounced him that way when I listened to him on his podcast, so. I don't trust any American to pronounce these things correctly, <laughs> sorry. Go on, that's fine, <laughs> and I'm one. Let's go to China. Yeah, all right, so we'll start off here in China, and I'd like to thank my friend Jack from China, who's a business associate of mine who helped me. He sent me some um, links and websites that I can do research. They're all in Chinese, so they automatically translate. So they're a little tricky, but I do have a lot more information than I used to have. So, um, And the one thing is, I, I really went through this a bunch of times. I'm really going to make sure I try to keep straight with the names. The funny thing they do is they, they have a, like a born name, and then they'll have like a king name that they give them afterwards. And then sometimes they're spelled differently. And some of the king's names are the same, so it gets confusing. But I'm going to try to do this one. So his, you know, you'll look him up. His name is King Zhang, and that's spelled X-I-A-N-G of, of Zhou, you know, Z-H-O-U. So that's the main, you know, the emperor, the king, who has no power. But um, so, and his given name is um, Ji Zheng. So he was king, he dies now. He was king from 651 to 619, and he was, according to the historians of China, the first emperor to be cuckolded in Chinese history. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that's a funny word. And, I mean, it's probably the first one that we know of anyway. So, he was the 18th monarch of the Eastern Zhou, and he, like I say, he reigned from 651 to 619. During this period, this is when the feudal lords were still fighting. I mean, this, like I say, this went on for hundreds of years, this, the spring and autumn period. He was, you know, not a strong king. He was the 
show king, basically. At this point in Chinese history, as we said, the emperor, the king, he wasn't really powerful, but the four powerful, most powerful states were Qi, that's Qi, Qi, right? Jin, Qin, Q-I-N, and Chu. And these, all these powers were located on the periphery, not in the, the central plain, like the other ones. And they became less um, important, probably because they were a battleground. And then these ones on the outside um, became more important. And of those, the two of them, Jin and Chu, played, um, were going to play the most important roles in the actual um, power of, the, of China at this time. And what I also found out from reading, and also since I got um, Cambridge Ancient History in China, is that the reason this kind of is happening is because the Zhou started all these other um, territories. In other words, nobles and families from them there went to these other places. So it isn't like there was these other countries that sprung up and then they said, well, we'll be beholden to the Zhou. It was like they kind of were the Zhou. But then over, you know, centuries and things just, this is how we got to this position. Chu, who is important, we say, there. So the, so basically these are like all ethnically the same, you know, with this racial kind of thing people live under. So there was like barbarian tribes, there was the Zhou ethnicity, and then there was, the Chu was a different ethnicity. So there was tension and stuff with that. So a lot of times when we, you know, why did Chu do this or why, it's, there's all these, um, ethnic and racial and language things that are also involved that are kind of, you know, not clear. So just to keep that in mind. And I guess you can't make the equivalent that uh, the Jew the descendants are the Han Chinese today. I think that would be, you know, more of the, you know, from the final, the warring period states and then the end of that. So how did this guy get cuckolded, right? Let's just see what the deal is with that. So that's always a fun story from China. Again, like I said, there's all these different parts, you know, and I'm reading the translations. But anyway, basically, it seems one of the king's wives, her name was Shu Kui. She was a young and beautiful barbarian princess. And when the king found her, he was an older man. So, I mean, they had multiple wives, but she became, she wasn't really just a concubine. She became one of the queens. So she was an actual wife. Then she was, you know, pretty and her husband was older and she got bored and she was from... You know, she was from barbarian tribe, so she was whatever. This other guy, his name was G. Dai. He was probably the, the king's half brother, and he, maybe the other half was he was from one of those barbarian groups. Okay, so his dad had another barbarian princess as his wife. Probably, yeah. That seems that way. I, it looks like they would marry these, bar, you know, bring these barbarian in quotes princesses to, you know make treaties and things like that. And maybe that was quite efficient because we haven't seen any barbarians doing anything for a long time now, have we? No, not really, except for this this particular guy gets his barbarians involved in this next little action here because these guys were lustful. So there's all these rendezvous going on and the servants were told to, you know, keep their mouths shut. But this Jedi guy, the king's half-brother, the one who's doing the cuckolding. I guess he was didn't have enough with with uh, his girlfriend, Shu Kui. He also got drunk and he tried to attack one of the maids. And when he couldn't get a hold of her, she escaped and ran to the king and told him about all the funny business that was going on. When the king found out, he had Shu Kui banished to the cold palace. It kind of sounds like your, your, your hideaway. <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe that's just... Uh... The same climate as Sweden. 
Yeah, and they don't have any heat in that room and stuff. It's really cold in there. I mean, if he fed her, it's good. I mean, they know he fed her because he didn't. They didn't find her body eaten by maggots like that other guy. So the the prince he fled. Jedi he fled, but then he came back with soldiers, with barbarian soldiers, and he attacked the capital. He attacked he, the king. Fled. He had con- attacked. They you know took over some cities. I mean, this shows you how weak they were. They just you know come in with a small army, and that was it. Apparently now, this is where it gets funny because this doesn't seem to have taken too long, but they said, the sources say, many new palaces were built and they enjoyed themselves in the palaces day or night, regardless of domestic affairs. So that's the new couple. So Jidai and Shukui is uh, having a honeymoon in the Joe Palace. Yeah, correct. We get several Joe Palaces. Several Joe Palaces built within a year, within a half a year, apparently, or, you know, maybe they just remodeled a few. But they were living it up. I guess they felt they had it made. But um, just a half a year later, the king sent his minister to Jin for help. So um, Duke Wen of Jin personally led a large army to recover the king's city first, bring him back in, then surround the town where Jidai lived. So he wasn't in the capital, apparently. He was in another town. And this Duke Wen, this is our thigh-eating Chang'er, his Thekai. Is he still around? No, this is, I'm just missed this. So I'm sorry if I didn't say I missed this. This is, this guy just, so in 619, this guy, the king died, but we never told what happened to him. This is the story. Okay. Yeah. So this is a flashback. Yeah. It's a little flashback. Sorry. Um, so, so when the, the prince saw that the situation was over, he, qu- he quickly took Shu Kui and fled, but he was overtaken by one of the generals and who slashed him with the knife. And then the soldiers grabbed him and his girlfriend. He twisted the girl towards the soldiers. Um, and he said, this is a whore. What is the use of keeping her? And then he ordered the soldiers to shoot them to death with random arrows. So Shu Kui was killed by thousands of arrows. And they ordered the bodies to be buried next to the Shenong stream. So order restored in the Joe Palace. Is- yes. Order was restored. And then, so now that he died, now we're back to the present. His son's name is G. Renchen. So this is 618, 618, 619. He's the 19th king of the Zhou dynasty, and this and it'll be the seventh of the Eastern Zhou. I'm sure this guy will restore the glory of the Zhou dynasty. You think? Well, here's, here's his main achievement. So funny, too, because in the sources, each thing will say main achievements, right? And then it'll have like a list of their achievements. Here's this guy's ma- main achievements. Number one, begging for money from the state of Lu, and two, burying his father. <laughs> did, did he get any money? He did. He didn't live too long. So here's the deal: um, when he receded, succeeded to the throne, the royal family was so constrained financially that it was impossible to handle the funeral. So he had to send for money to the state of Lu, and then the state of Lu sent money back to the capital to bury the king. But it was already the second month of the second year of his death. So he's like dead for two years. <laughs> so the state of Lu was pretty embarrassed that, well, oh, this is our high king. We must bury him. This is embarrassing. Exactly. But I mean, all the other states, I mean, he, you know, crazy. I mean, I would imagine they must have him somewhat, you know, um, either buried or preserved in some way. And just waiting for him to bury him. Maybe they preserved him in the cold palace. That's probably what it was. That's probably what it was. But by 613, 
Um, G. Renshin, this guy who begged for money, he died. So Okay. He didn't restore anything. His next one, he's not going to be so bad. He'll live a longer time. He was um, 613 to 591, and he was um, the king of Chu. His later, he was called King Kuang or King Zhuang. And he becomes one of the... Um, he becomes one of the five hegemons later, so we could talk more about him later. But he actually takes the title of king, whatever that is in Chinese. You know, it's because of the thing. It's, he's really a duke. If we were going to say it'd be duke, but they're, you know, technically they're kings, but I shouldn't say technically. Technically they're dukes, but if in, in function they're kings. Okay, so they are mighty dukes. Exactly. And I can't see where I have it in the script, but I know what happens to the next king. The, the next king of the Zhou... Um, he is lazy for the next three years. He doesn't do anything. So we don't have anything to say about him, but he reigns longer and he does some good work. So we'll be able to talk about him starting hopefully in the 600s and beyond. But yeah, the next king of the Zhou, he's lazy for three years. So, I mean, I guess they don't have much to do. Really, they don't really have an army. They can't even control. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They can't even, you know, I think it was like 5,000 troops they only took to like, you know, conquer all those cities, you know, that they had to be saved. So they must have just had a lot of money and hung around and partied. Yeah, I'm sure there were rituals they had to do. Lots of rituals. Absolutely. Tons and tons of rituals. So that's that's all I have for China for this this the six tens. 
So let's talk about 619 to 616 in the main story, Assyria versus Babylonia. Got it. So Sinchara Ishkun is the king of Assyria, and Nabopolassar is the king of Babylon. Uh, our sources are terrible, as they were last time. Yeah. We have uh, some commemorative inscriptions from Sinchara Ishkun. Uh, there is a recording of the restoration of the building of Alabaster at Nineveh. Hmm. That is probably the west wing of Sennacherib's southwest palace. Yeah, that was important. He is also restoring the Nabu temple at Asher. And um, both these buildings will be destroyed in this decade. It's like they're rearranging the, the ship, the right? They say rearranging the, the, the lounge chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Nabopolassar, on his part, is consolidating power in uh, Babylonia. And he is having a lot of problems with the south, the hmm. sea land, the traditional Chaldean power base. They, That's amazing. The cities there are, not, not in the sea land, but in the south, the cities are on the side of Assyria. Nabopolassar needs to clean out his southern parts before he goes north to finally crush Assyria. Yeah. Smart that he did, though. Seems like all the other ones just try to be, play the defense, and he's playing offense and defense. Yeah, this this showdown between Sinshar Ishkun and Nabopolassar looks on paper now, if we are in 619 BC, like a pretty even battle. Mm-hmm. There's a, there is a rebellious king in Babylonia. There has been tons of rebellious kings in Babylonia before. But remember, Assyria... Always one in the end, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. There is nothing here in 619 BC that indicates that the end of the Assyrian Empire is just years away. Mm-hmm. I know, imagine, like, remember, like, Sargon, he lost Babylon for, like, ten years, didn't he? Yeah, and he took it back. Right. It wasn't a big deal. Maybe it was a big deal back then, but it didn't seem to be. But Sinsharishkun is also on the offensive. He wants to keep these uh, loyal cities in the south. Mm-hmm. He managed to hold Sippar for a while. That's an important religious center. And also the northern gateway to Babylonia. You can control the Euphrates uh, upstream from Babylon. And you can also control the land routes from Assyria into Babylonia. We have a recognition of uh, Sincharishkun's power in uh, Sippar, f- dating from 620. And in Uruk and Nippur, both cities that had long been loyal to Assyria. We lost the chronicle tablets for the years 622 to 617. So all the dates come from Babylonian sources. Mm -hmm. Uruk in the south. That is pretty much the last big city in the south, if you go south. And they seem very loyal to Assyria. Wasn't Uruk, something went on with during the war in the 650s with Uruk. I can't remember if it was one way or the other. I bet you they, they, they always have a lot of trouble. <laughs> I suck to live in Uruk. They're always, These are, they are city dwellers since the days of Gilgamesh. Yeah, right. And they prefer the Assyrian state instead of the Sealand barbarians. Yeah. And uh, Nabopolassar besieges and struggles about this regarding this city from 621 to 616 we have yeah. 
tablets from Ur that uh, are economic transactions from the year 624 to 617. It's a family archive. And these documents were probably moved to Ur because they seem to concern Uruk. And they moved to Ur probably when Nabopolassar consolidates power in 616. I see. So the theory then, based on these few sources we have, is that some Babylonians under Nabopolassar, loyal to him, take control of Uruk for a while in 621. In 620, the Assyrians take it back. And also Nippur is besieged by Nabopolassar in 620. Uh, This conflict has been going on already. We talked about it in the last decade for seven years, which means that there is famine in Babylonia. And you can see that in these business contracts that are like, people are starving. It never stops, if you think about it. They've been for the, since, since the four, it, for all the time, all these cities are always under siege by one or the other. But this is way worse than what it has been before, because yeah. market prices soar, everything is super expensive, and we have the record of... People selling their young children oh, that's for food. I mean, I know they were selling temples for food in, in the last wars, but that's even worse. We know that in 618, the Assyrians have control of Uruk. And they keep that until 616. I wonder how much food you can get for a kid. Oh, it depends on the market prices. <laughs> so, I have to see a 10-year-old... Uh, uh, who is buying kids for food? <laughs> I know, seriously, they're all just going to make trouble. God, I'll take that kid. <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll take the food. <laughs> it was a different world, that's for sure. So in 617, the Assyrians lose Nippur. Mm. So we have documents dated in the years of Nabopolassar from 617 in Nippur. And this is, of course, a huge problem for Assyria. Yeah, that's definitely, there's a lot of economic activity, you know, and these, the whole thing is a mess. And it's amazing that they're rebuilding temples during all this. Yeah, that's, the gods are important. Well, that's true. That's very, that's, you know what, that's very true. That's the one reason they probably were doing it. They probably think, you know, in other words, if you're like, well, what do I need, military or the gods? You probably figured the gods were important. So, they, yeah, yeah, good point. But in 616, it seems that Nabopolassar controls all of Babylonia. Okay. There is a letter from uh, an earlier period that talks about the the position of uh, Babylonian city dwellers who are loyal to Assyria. So this is an an official in Nippur writing to Esarhaddon. So quote from this uh, letter. The king well knows that people hate us everywhere on account of our allegiance to Assyria. We are not safe anywhere. Wherever we might go, we could be killed. People (laughs) say, why did you submit to Assyria? We have now locked our gates tight and do not go out of town. And quote. Yeah, they're not loved, the Assyrians. In 616, we... One of our main sources for this end of the Assyrian Empire, as we don't have Assyrian sources, is the Babylonian Chronicles, uh, with Chronicle 3 
It's often called the fall of Nineveh text. Yeah. It tells us that immediately when Nabopolassar had control of Babylonia and the Assyrians were out of Babylonia, Nabopolassar went on the offensive. He didn't take time to stay at home and build up his country. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was done uh, simultaneously, but he went on the offensive. Yeah, he knew. He he definitely like did different than everybody else who rebelled against him. He he didn't take he didn't take the initiative. He once he had the initiative, he kept it kept going. We we don't know his motive. Either he's now plotting the final demise of the Assyrian Empire, or he's just trying to readjust the borders mm-hmm. and make make peace with a border that he likes. Yeah, maybe. My opinion is he's a good strategist and he knew the only way to win this and to give Babylonia their freedom is to just knock them out. A, a piece of evidence that points to the fact that he didn't want to exterminate the empire huh. is that uh, the empire is doing quite well. We have some economic texts that uh, seems to be from the reign of Sincharishkun. Which, hmm. which speaks only about economics, and they're like, oh, everything is good in Assyria. That there, there is no famine in Assyria. Interesting. It's so funny how there's just so, we know so much, of, there's so much we don't know. And it seems that regarding events that will happen soon, the Assyrian territory between Nineveh and Haran seems very stable. And that's where these economic texts are coming from. Okay. But... Nabopolassar attacks in 616. He campaigns up the Euphrates. He defeats an Assyrian army. But the Assyrian army has allies with them. And they are also defeated. It's the Manians. Unbelievable. Yeah, throwing in their (laughs) lot with the empire at this stage. (laughs) It would seem to be a good gamble. Yeah, the empire always wins, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So they are like, okay, maybe if we help Sincharishkun beat up this uh, imposter, he will leave us alone. Yeah. But they get their asses kicked by Nabopolassar. This is very uncharacteristic, right? The Babylonians are always inferior in fighting. I know. But that is no longer true. Mm -mm. Maybe they've been under the Assyrian joke so long that, that they have learned. That must be that... I think we saw signs of that earlier, that the Babylonian soldiers are getting better. Yeah, they should be learning by now, I would think. Plus, I do think the empire was weakened from, you know, and that's a lot of people still you know, think that it was very weakened from the, from the 650s, 640s wars. Very weakened. Yes. I mean, you can't just use your army all over. Even if you kick everyone's ass, you don't, you know, you don't go in and you don't come out like lose one soldier, you know, you lose a lot of stuff every fight you do. And there's a lot of fighting going on. Lots of fighting going on. Very true. And even though we are now four years from the end of the empire, they haven't run out of allies yet. I think the Manians slipped back into Iran, hiding from the Babylonians. Yeah, right. Probably from the Medes too. But Sincharishkun gets confirmation from a powerful ally at this point. And it's the pharaoh of Egypt. Yeah, see that? <laughs> Unexpected. Yes, less than 50 years have passed since uh, Ashurbanipal sacked Thebes. But the Egyptians are Assyrian vassals. They are not vassals anymore, but they still think that they're, it's good for them 
if the empire stays around. Yeah. And maybe they don't even think that the empire will die here. Right. They, they decide to train their lot with Sincharishkun and actually come to his help. They have been passive in Egypt for quite some time, enjoying the absence of the Assyrians, but now they're actively helping the Assyrians. Amazing. In hindsight, you would think that, oh no, the, they think that the Babylonians are getting too powerful, but they can't possibly think that at this stage. Right, how could they? I think they wanted. They must have been some kind of deal where they get control in Palestine, because Egypt has always wanted to have control. It's like Russia wants Ukraine. It's just like a thing, you know? Yeah. That's their buffer area that they want control over. So the, the Assyrian and Manian army was defeated at Gablini, and then it continued, uh, the, the Babylonians continued upstream, but there they encountered the joint forces of the Assyrians, who had regrouped, and now Egyptian soldiers were with them. Hmm. Uh, and Nabopolassar... I'd love to see that. Yeah, Egyptians, quite far from Egypt. Yeah, just that whole, imagine that whole, like, battle array. Egyptians and Assyrians... Nabopolassar wisely chose not to fight, so he retreated to Babylonia. And in the same year, another battle was fought near Kirkuk. Arapka is the ancient name. Okay. And this is probably instigated by the Medes, who have now... They formed an alliance with Nabopolassar earlier, but now they're here, and they want to fight on the Babylonian side against the Assyrians and the Egyptians. Amazing. I think they're, they're really using, like, tra- proper strategy and tactics, you know? That's why they're winning. Like, here they see this other... They don't, they don't engage in battle, even though they've been winning all these battles. They're like, we're not fighting this one, picking our battles. Yeah. Now they come and pick this one, and they won. And if the Babylonians have a grudge with Assyria, you can bet that the Medes have too. Remember all these episodes when the Assyrians beat up the Medes? Absolutely. Actually, there's... I was reading, oh, no, but maybe it was on YouTube. You know, I got on these rabbit holes. There's, there's, you get these ethnic things, too, but there was sometimes our, my English sources don't have everything, but I think that the king of the Medes, his father, was killed by, uh, it was, maybe it was Ashurbanipal or even could have been Ezerhaddon, but probably Ashurbanipal, and he was one of them that they, like, put on an altar and slaughtered, and he was like, he wanted revenge. And uh, the Medes bring with them their vassals, and uh, do you know who is a vassal of the Medes? If it's not the Manians, I'm not sure. Oh, the Manians are hiding in the mountains, as far as I can say. Oh, the Scythians. Oh, we don't know where the Scythians are in this conflict, but we know that they are everywhere. So the Scythians are a mystery for this decade. Yeah. Who did they bring? They brought the Persians. Oh, all right, yeah. So the Persians are vassals to the Medes, and they are here as well. Yeah. This is their law. It's getting started. If you can question Nabopolassar's motives, does he just want a stable border with Assyria or does he want to destroy Assyria? You, there is no question about the motive of the Medes. The Medes are here to destroy the empire. Yeah. They are fed up with perhaps 300 years of terror yeah. from the empire. So they want to crush the empire and it's possible that they influence Nabopolassar in this direction. Good point. I could see these meetings. Just kill them. Kill them all. I know. This we have to go. And then think, you know, if the revenge against the father. And they're powerful, the Medes now. They've, you know, they were five tribes that fought against each other. 
It was made it easy for their Syrians to go in and beat them up all the time, but now they're united. You always got to watch when you unite horse people. Uh, now I'm on, on really thin ice here, but I think the Manians, after they fled to the mountains, are also subjugated or at least forced into alliance with the Medes. Yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Because they will be back. And that's where we leave Assyria versus Babylonia because... Cliffhanger. Yes, we end at the end of 616. Of course, now, next episode, or the episode after we address Greece, we have to talk about Rome. Wow. <laughs> it's hard to believe. It's so funny how it's like, it's almost like as if you wrote the story, like, yep, this other empire is ending and we're going to start this new one. But it's like the, the third next empire. First we have the new Babylonians, then we have the Persians. Yeah. Then we have the Romans. True. If you don't count, uh, oh, you have to count Alexander as well, right? He has an empire yeah. before before the Romans do. I guess I mean too, like just so how very like important in history, even to this day, you know, like the Assyrians, so important, you know, I and mean, these other ones were in between. I don't know. I think the Babylonian and the Assyrian empires sort of similar in a lot of ways, and then when the Persians come, it's totally different. Well, uh, after. The Assyrian Empire is crushed, and the new Babylonian Empire takes the stage. Uh, some people don't notice the difference. They're yeah. just, okay, now their capital is in Babylonia. Exactly. Exactly right. But uh, I have to correct myself, because I could hear Dan Carlin screaming in my head. <laughs> his pet peeve about Roman history. You don't talk about the Roman Empire until there is actually an emperor. So, of course, I meant the Roman Republic. Oh, good point. Good well, point. We are far from the Republic in 616 BC. We are in the Roman Kingdom. Yes. But we'll talk about Rome in an upcoming episode, but now we'll have to go to Greece. All right. Well, we'll, end we'll have to end here and come back and do Greece. Yes. Please follow us on uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube. Yes, and message me on Facebook. Please check in our Facebook page. I try to post things. I, I found that 85% of our Facebook fans are from Iraq. Yes, that's because I bought a Facebook ad in Iraq, like in 2015. It was very cheap, and I got a lot of followers. Yeah. So, hi everyone in Iraq. I hope you listened to the podcast. I hope you're still listening, for sure, because you're not rep replying on my Facebook page enough. So, get back with us. I don't know what happened there, actually, but we got like 4,000 followers from Iraq, and some of them are still around. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're still doing a lot of history in Iraq, so still keep checking us out. Yes. Okay, always nice talking to you. You, of Let's course. Let's go to yeah. Greece. Let's go to Greece next time. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.